Ephesians chapter 3, and it's on page 1174 if you're looking for it. So it says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of, the of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach um, to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. So in our passage, Ephesians 3, 1 to 13, if you're just coming back in, uh, we hear Paul once again uh, speaking to the people of Ephesus. He's writing this incredible letter. Uh, we're going to be carrying on with Ephesians for the next few weeks as well and unwrapping uh, what else it has to say to us today. But in this passage, Paul is sharing his passion uh, that he has to share the gospel of Jesus with the Gentile people. And to help us to understand Paul's message to the Gentiles and why it's so significant, we need to sort of go on a little whistle-stop tour through some biblical history. Uh, and hopefully that'll help us to understand why this message of Paul's is so significant. So first of all, right in the beginning, God's design in creation was that people would be in relationship with one another and relationship with God. But we know, don't we, from our own lives and through the whole of history that we mess up. Time and again, people messed up. And so through the first few books of the Bible, we see God's plan to restore the relationship between himself and people begin to emerge as he establishes a chosen people, a people uh, through the descendants of Abraham and Sarah. God designs a people, his own people. And the sign of belonging to God it is given to them, and it's circumcision. And we know that, that Jews have carried on being circumcised ever since that time. It's a sign that they belong to God, that they are God's people. And along the way, God gives his people a promise too, and this is the promise. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. It's the covenant that he gives the people of Israel. 
And so from the line of Abraham uh, came Joseph and his 11 brothers. You remember the story, Joseph and his technical dream coat and all that. And these, t- Joseph and his 12 brothers beco- become the 12 tribes of Israel, the people of Israel. And after Moses leaves, leads the 12 tribes out of captivity in Egypt, they eventually reach a place, God's place, the place that God ha- has promised them, a land for them to live in and flourish in and worship him in. And after that, there's loads of drama. I mean, you can read it all the way through uh, the Old Testament. People forget God time and again. They forget their relationship with, it, it, with him. They mess up their relationships with each other. And so God raises up prophets and he raises up judges too to help people get back in line with God and his ways and come back under his kingship. But they don't just want a heavenly king. They want an earthly king as well. And so eventually, uh, God raises up kings to lead his people uh, in his promises, in his place. Uh, First king is Saul, and then there's the great King David, and then David's son Solomon. And under King Solomon, the temple is established, is built. The temple is a place for God's people to come together to worship him. And so we have God's people, the Jews. We have God's promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. And we have God's place, a land and a temple. So the Jews are God's people, living and worshipping in the place that God has given them under his promise to them. I will be your God. But the, ro- the relationship is rocky. Things continue to be really messy between God and his people. And so God sends Jesus. Jesus comes onto the scene and things begin to be shaken up a little bit. Jesus challenges the religious and the social expectations of what being God's people looks like. And then finally we come to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus where the power of sin and death is broken and conquered once and for all. And it's a great symbolic moment where the temple curtain is torn in two and the way is is laid open for everyone to come into the presence of God and have a relationship with God and at that moment things are changed forever and it's Paul who explains at the end of Ephesians chapter 2 what this means not just for the Jewish people God's people God's chosen people but for the Gentiles everybody who is not a Jew as well as he says this remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is a big deal. The Jewish people have always been God's people in their own place. And Paul is saying, guys, Jesus has broken down the barriers and has made a way for everyone, whatever their race, whatever their color, whatever their creed, whatever their gender, to be brought into the presence of God, brought near to God, to have a relationship with him. Jesus has created a new people and a new place. The old has gone and the new has come. 
And not surprisingly, this message that Paul is sharing uh, with the, the people is causing a few ructions along the way as well. And it's not going down so well with some of the more hardline Jews who don't agree with Paul's theology, that it's not just all about them now. And so uh, we find at the beginning of chapter 3, the beginning of our passage we're looking at today, that Paul finds himself in prison again. But typical in, in Paul's ways, he doesn't just sort of in his confinement think, oh, well, I'll sit here and I'll try to make things a little bit easier between myself and the Jews. But rather, he's taking his opportunity while he's sat in jail to write to the Ephesian church to enforce this message that there is unity in Christ, that in Christ, the way is open for everybody to be in relationship with him. I grew up uh, living really near my cousins. They lived about a mile or so away from me, and we spent loads and loads of time together. And one day I heard my parents talking to, uh, about my aunt, how my auntie and uncle had planned this amazing holiday uh, for their family to go to Disney World in Florida. Uh, and it was a massive secret, and I overheard them talking about it. So I knew about this secret for ages and ages. Uh, and so for months, I knew about my, this holiday, and my cousins didn't. And we'd be like playing together, and my cousin Trudy would say things like, oh, you're so lucky, you always get to go on holiday to amazing places like Anglesey. And we don't get to do anything. Oh, my parents are so miserable and so boring. And I knew this secret that they were going uh, to Disney World in Florida, but they didn't know about it. And the time was getting nearer and nearer. And in fact, my auntie and uncle managed to get them all their suitcases in their Volvo and get to Gatwick Airport and be in the airport before my cousins realised what was going on. I don't know how they managed it. And, and then they did the big reveal that they were go, actually going to Disneyland, uh, Disney World, Florida. And obviously it was a massive, massive deal and they all went mental. And I've never forgiven them for not taking me with them. But there you go. <laughs> When Paul uh, explains the revelation that he's received from God in this passage, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, we find in verses 2 to 4 that he uses the language of mystery, of revealing a mystery. Just listen to this. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I've already written briefly, in reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. I wonder what you hear, think of when you hear this word, mystery. Maybe a dark secret. Maybe you're thinking of an Agatha Christie novel uh, or the board game Cluedo. That's what I think of, you know. What is it? Professor Plum and Reverend Green. Oh, we've got a Reverend Green. Oh, there you go. I just realised that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, maybe you think of an obscure puzzle, something you've got to work out. Maybe you think of a family mystery, a family secret. Because in English, this is the sort of thing that we think of when we think of mystery. But in the original Greek, the actual word is mysterion. And it has a slightly different meaning uh, to our word, mystery. And it can really help us to understand what's going on here when Paul is talking about a mystery. Uh, and it isn't actually the, Captain the character from Captain Scarlet that I know Dave Richards and Ash Kimber are thinking about this morning. Uh, there is a character called Mysterion. It's not that, okay? Uh, but Mysterion, when Paul ta talks about it, is a truth. 
It's a truth that was once hidden, but is now revealed. Mysterion, this mystery that Paul is talking about, is a truth that was once hidden and has now been revealed. Paul is saying, what may seem strange to you now, the Gentiles being united as much as the Jews under the Lordship of Christ, is not some last-minute addition to God's great plan. It appears that God always intended to bring this about. God always intended for Jew and Gentile to be united in him. Just because the trip to Disneyland was a mystery, was hidden from my cousins, didn't mean that it wasn't happening. But the timing had to be right for the truth to be revealed to make the biggest impact. And so the mysterion, the open secret that Paul has been given by God's grace, is explained clearly here in verse 6 of our passage. That through the gospel, that's Jesus, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. This is massive news that Paul is sharing. Paul is saying there's no longer a chosen people, a spiritual elite. Everyone is chosen, wherever you are, whoever you are, all, whatever your religious or your social background, Jesus has broken down the walls, the temple t- curtain is torn in two and you are all welcome. And not only that, when you come in, you also have access to all the riches of God's grace and righteousness, eternal salvation, freedom, forgiveness of sins, peace, access to the Father, relationship with him. It's not like some of those things are reserved just for God's old chosen people. They're here for everyone. God is saying, through Jesus, you are all my people, not just the people of Israel. And you all can live under my promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. All this is yours. One people, one promise, unified under Christ Jesus. And isn't this the message, this message of unity under Christ, the message that our world needs to hear today? And we as a church need to be living out this message in the way that we live day to day, don't we? through our commitment to social action, to making a difference in the world, in our engagement with politics, in the things we post or react to on social media, those of us that do it, in our speech, in our prayers, but also in our relationships with one another, even in this community, this family as well. We are one people under God. And yet, if we are honest, we're all guilty sometimes of spiritual elitism, or we can build walls between ourselves, walls of pride or past hurt or unforgiveness, walls that keep us apart from people that aren't quite like us, that we don't quite relate to. But in Christ, there is no place for these sorts of walls and barriers. If they're there, we need to acknowledge them. We need to deal with them. We need to be unified. We need to make peace. We need to cross those boundaries with one another. And so Paul goes on in verses 7 to 13. In these verses, he's making it absolutely clear that this is not just some lovely idea that he's dreamt of whilst relaxing in his prison cell. But this whole revelation is from God. It's now his divine calling that God has given him to share the good news of Jesus with the Gentile people. 
And he's not saying, hey, listen to me, because get me. Jesus met me in a blinding flash on the road to Damascus. I'm special. You've got to listen to me. No, he's, he, in fact, he's quite the opposite. He says, you know, don't, don't count me as anything special. In verse 8, he emphasizes, I am the least of God's people. Yet despite this, God has called him to share this incredible news with all people, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And from what we know of Paul, he wasn't a particularly charismatic figure. And in fact, he was known to be quite small. And his name Paulus in Latin actually means small and little. I wonder if you knew that. I didn't until this week. Um, But it's quite significant that God chooses people who aren't the biggest, that aren't the best, who aren't the most sorted to be his people and put them in a place for him. So what about you and I? What is God calling us to be and to do here and now? Perhaps not all of us are are like Paul called to preach the good news of Jesus to people who haven't heard. But who are you and I called to demonstrate God's love to in our place today? Where are you called to cross divides, to break down barriers or walls? In what way is God calling you to influence the culture of your workplace or your friendship group or your community in a way that just points people to Jesus in a small way, but one that could be highly significant? Where is God calling you to take a risk for him? And some of us need to hear today that our biggest calling, biggest calling on each of our lives is to be a follower of Jesus and be a follower of him wherever he has placed us today. William Booth, uh, the founder of the Salvation Army, had an incredible impact on on the years, uh, on the world, both through his preaching and his ministry amongst the poorest and the lowest of society. And uh, he was somebody who was obedient to God's call. And really near the end of his life, when asked um, about the impact of his life, he said this, for the last 80 years, God has had all there is of William Booth. What an incredible thing to be able to say near the end of your life. God has had all there is of me, Libby Talbot or whatever your name is. God has had all there is of me. I wonder whether for some of us here, we actually have stumbling blocks or things that get in the way of us being obedient to God's call in our lives and following him in the way that he wants us to. When I first felt called uh, to ordain ministry, I was absolutely horrified at the thought of it and, and just came up with excuse after excuse after excuse why I couldn't do it. Uh, so I was like, I'm not a man. You know, in those days, there weren't very many uh, women around. I'm 21. You know, I'm much too young for that. Uh, I want to have a life. I'm going to be a Blue Peter presenter. I still think that. Um, I don't want to wear stupid clothes. I don't want to become boring. Um, I want to get married. Nobody is ever going to want to marry me if I'm a vicar. I wonder what are the stumbling blocks uh, that you put up to God calling you to do what he wants you to do or to be? I'll never be ready. I'm inadequate. I haven't got time, or this isn't the right time, or God's got it wrong, and I'm right. When God calls us, he doesn't wait for us to get it all sorted first. I think the Spirit of God is a bit wild and uncontrollable sometimes, and yet his love for us is immense, and his timing is perfect, even if we don't realize it at the time. 
He meets us and he calls us to love him, to be his person, whatever mess we're in at that time. And to be honest, we're never going to be qualified or worthy or ready to follow him. And that's why it's all about grace. Paul was called to share the good news with the Gentiles, a reconciled community united in Christ, a new people, God's people. So we've got God's people, God's promise. But what about the place, lastly? Remember, place to the Jews was really important. First the land of Israel and then the temple, the place where God and his grace was experienced and lived out by the Jewish people. But now, in Jesus, the walls have been broken down. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. The way to God is open for all time to all people everywhere. And so the place is different. It's no longer physical. Uh, But instead, it's about a united people. Paul calls it the church, God's place, the church. Not a physical place, but a united people, a new people, a new place. And the church is God's vehicle to share his goodness and his grace and his gospel with the world. The church, believe it or not, is God's divine plan. And it doesn't always feel like that, does it? I mean, if you look at church history just for the last 2,000 years, to be honest, it can look like God's vision and purpose for the church as a place of grace and mission uh, to be experienced and lived out has just been buried by a stack of religiosity and factions and relationships breaking down and hate and fear. But actually, God's vision for the church is still there. Uh, When my eldest son, Zachary, who's now about 12, about 12, he's nearly 13 next week, and that's why I said about 12, he is 12 on this day. Uh, When he was about four years old, um, he was a bit obsessed with this little guitar he had, and he used to take this guitar along to church every week with it and like strum along to to the worship music. And his hero, not surprisingly, was Mike, uh, the worship leader at our church. And I remember one day after church, we went round for lunch with Mike and his family. And so Zachary took along his little guitar with him. And after lunch, he he wanted to do a demonstration uh, to Mike of his worship leading abilities and gets out this guitar and just literally starts like banging it and it's chaotic and it's messy. And, uh, And he wanted us all to look really impressed and it was awful. But then we noticed that um, Mike just got up from the other side of the room, picked up his guitar, walked across uh, to where Zachary was sitting, giving us this great performance, sat down next to him and just started playing along uh, a worship song next to Zachary. And it was incredible because actually suddenly Zachary started getting rhythm and slightly getting in tune with Mike. And what had been a messy and chaotic noise just became something really beautiful in that moment as they joined together in this worship song. And that to me is a picture of what God can and will do in our lives and in his church today if we let him. He can take something that's messy and chaotic, sometimes broken, and turn it into something beautiful and transformative for him and for his world. The church is still God's vision for his Christian community. And there's nothing else like it, is there? 
It's a tapestry of different races and cultures and colors united under Christ, filled with the Spirit, there to worship him and to make him known to this world today. And so do we dare to believe that God has the power to transform and to renew and to use us and his church, the people of God, for his transformative uh, kingdom purposes today? God's people, Jew and Gentile, that, that includes us. God's promise and God's place, the church.